Welcome to episode 22 of the Countryline Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learnt along the way. Billy Currington was raised in Rincoin, Georgia. Following high school, he made a couple of attempts at relocating to Nashville in hopes of getting a career in music off the ground. Finally, landing a job at a concrete company while still finding time to play clubs on the side while working on song demos. When singer Mark Wills put a hold on one of his songs, Currington met and began writing with Wills's producer, Carson Chamberlain. This eventually led to a recording contract with Mercury Records. His first single, Walk a Little Straighter, was released in 2003 and drew heavily on Currington's experiences with an alcoholic father. A self-titled debut album was released on Mercury Records in 2003. A second album, Doing Something Right, that followed in 2005 on Mercury Nashville. Three years later, Currington delivered the eclectic R&B-inflected Little Bit of Everything also on Mercury Nashville. In 2010, he returned with his album Enjoy Yourself, featuring the Troy Jones co-written single Pretty Good at Drinking Beer. That song went to number one, as did Let Me Down Easy, Love Don Gone and Like My Dog also reached the country top 40. Currington returned to action in 2013, releasing the single Hey Girl in March and delivering the full-length We Are Tonight that September. The album debuted at number 5 on the Billboard Country Charts and spawned the number 1 hits Hey Girl and the title track We Are Tonight. In 2015, Currington returned with Summer Forever, an album preceded by the single Don't It, a song that reached number four on the US Hot Country Songs chart. It was followed by two number one hits in 2016, It Don't Hurt Like It Used To and Do I Make You Wanna. Currington's seventh studio album, Intuition, was released in August of 2021, which is when he chatted with myself, Stuart Banford. The Countryline Songwriter Series with Billy Currington. So Billy, last Friday you released your first album in six years, Intuition, and it's fair to say, you know, throughout your career you've never shied away from experimenting with different musical styles, but this album, I mean, it sees you fully tilt towards textures of house music, dance in general, pop, funk, soul, R&B. I believe you co-wrote all 12 of the tracks with songwriter and producer Rob Persaud. Please uh, tell me a bit about the writing and recording of it, and also what motivated this sonic shift? Well, you know, it just kind of came out of nowhere for me. I heard something that Rob had mixed that I had written with another guy in L.A. that he knew three, four years ago, and it was something that I loved more than anything. It was like, that's the sound that I've always wanted to be a part of. After maybe three years, I tracked Rob down. I had been trying to find his number for a while, and and finally found him and called him out of the blue. And he's like, oh, I actually produced that track too and, and mixed. And, and I was like, man, let's get together. And so I ended up just pretty much bolting right then. I was on a Key West trip, you know, fishing and all that. And I cut my trip about a week short. 
and just drove all the way to Nashville and met Rob. And uh, the first song on the track is called Lead Me. We wrote that song the, the day we met. And uh, we just kept going from there. I didn't know, you know, much about Rob. I didn't know he was, you know, which side he came from. I learned, you know, after meeting him, he he was from the pop world. And, I, you know, I grew up on all types of music. So when we started writing songs together, it just, its own sound just happened. I wasn't nothing that we planned. You know, in a world now where it seems as though a lot of artists want to share almost every other second of their day on social media, you seem to be somebody who prefers to just let the music do the talking. Because I followed your career for a long time, but there's a couple of key moments I want to quiz you about. So is it true that your first memory of writing a song was around about the age of six or seven? You just left the beach, you were in the car with your mother, brother (laughs) and sister, and you had the song fully formed by the time you hit the house? It's true. <laughs> it was it was silly. I don't even remember much much of it at, at all, for sure. But uh, I do remember writing this song and then wanting to sing it for my my brother, sister, and mom in the car. And of course, I did. And, and it just I remember how happy that made me feel. And uh, from then on, I was just you know not a songwriter, of course, but you know someone that just kind of played around with poems and things like that. So I just feel like sometimes you're just born with things and maybe songwriting was one of them for myself. Yeah. And was it your stepfather who first introduced you to country music? It was. Yes. Um, a lot of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, all the old greats. And and uh, my mom, she loved country music too. She's actually the one who took me to my first concert, which was Kenny Rogers. But she loved listening to rock and roll and pop and everything she was all over the board so thanks to her I, I got to hear a lot of you know everything that was out there as a kid and after graduation you took your first trip to Nashville you lived there for I think just less than a year and then you moved back to Georgia why did you move back was it homesickness or what was it it wasn't much homesickness as it was that I was only 18 and you know I went straight into a six day a week job, which was working at a pawn shop. And it was from six in the morning till six in the evening. And then any extra time I had, I was trying to get in clubs to like try to sit in with a band or sing or meet people and form a band. And no one in Nashville was letting me in these bars, you know, can I see your ID type thing? (laughs) So not being 21, I was just felt like I kept running into walls and I just decided, you know, what, I'm going to go back home and, and, and form myself a band. And, and it's exactly what I did. I actually just fell into a band that was already formed and played clubs for about six months down and around Georgia. And, and then that, I just knew I wasn't where I belonged. I knew I needed to be back in Nashville, no matter what age I was and who's going to let me in and who's not. And so I just ended up moving back and, you know, just took a few years to finally get things going. But, you know, I was always working at it. And it was a part-time job as a personal trainer that led to you. You met someone, a client at the gym that led to your first real break. It was, yes. I had, of course, been meeting songwriters along the way and, you know, getting some people that's like, hey, man, let's, we'd like to produce your, try to get your record deal. But none of those guys ever felt right. It was when I met a guy named Gary Voorhees. He was co-manager Garth Brooks, you know, invited me to come sing for kind of that family. 
that publishing company, management company one day, and they offered me a, you know, it was like 13 grand a year, two years to write songs. So that was something I never really moved to town for. I didn't move there to write songs. I moved there to be an artist to sing, you know, and be on the stage. And But I, I really enjoyed writing the songs. It, it led me into what I'm doing today. So I think I first became aware of you as an artist. It was around 2004, I think, your collaboration with Shania Twain, Party for Two. At the time, and obviously still, Shania is a global superstar. So how did that pairing come about? And also, how significant do you think that duet was in at the time, you know, expanding your career and your, your fan base? for the career no question um when the song came out i seen the crowds grow really quickly went from like 20 people to like 200 <laughs> whatever just kept going from there and i just get a call one day and from my manager and he's like you're not gonna believe this but shania twain you know wants to do a duet with you i need to get you the song of course i heard the song it was an immediate yes it was an immediate yes before i heard the song but um it happened so quickly after after that point. And then next thing you know, it was out on the radio and video. And it definitely changed the course of my career. I have to ask you about probably many would consider it to be your signature song. It's certainly massive over here in Northern Ireland. People are crazy. I believe <laughs> you find this song on a five-track demo CD from songwriters Troy Jones and Bobby Braddock. And Pretty Good at Drinking Beer was also on that CD but they were actually pitching you one of the other three songs. And when you inquired about People Are Crazy, you found out it was already on hold for Alan Jackson, George Strait, and Kenny Chesney. That's pretty much the way it happened. I, like you said, the five-song CD. And Before I left, I was kind of in a meeting with my A&R guy at Mercury Records, Brian Wright. And, and right before I walked out, he goes, hey, man, here's some guy from Alabama. Check him out, you know. And So I just put the CD in the truck on the way leaving the, the garage and and the first song I heard I think was People Are Crazy and the next one was pretty good at drinking beer and I immediately called the guy back and was like you know I told him which songs I love which was those two and he's like oh yeah I just found out people are crazy on whatever but as time went on it wound up in my hands we wound up in the studio with it and, and here we are then one sunny day I saw the old man's face Front page obituary He was a millionaire He left his fortune to Some guy he barely knew His kids were mad as hell But me, I'm doing well And I drop by the day Just say thanks and pray and I left a six-pack right there on his grave And I said, God 
God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. I mentioned George Strait there, and I have heard you say over the years that from observing his career and noting the song choices he's made, what's really stuck with you is the importance of melody. For aspiring singer-songwriters, what's the key bit of advice you would pass on? Singer-songwriters? I mean, just write whatever you feel, no question. And we're all going to write different songs. Some are going to be his, some are not. But always do what you feel, nothing else. Don't try to write things just because this guy has this sound and it's working. So you start chasing that and then all of a sudden there's a new artist comes out and that's working. Well, we need to start writing like just write what you write. And if it's your time, it's going to happen and people are going to love what's real most of all. And over the years, you've obviously toured with big acts like Sugarland, Brad Paisley, Carrie Underwood, Lady A, Tim McGraw. What have you taken away from those experiences? Do you have any particular special memories? Everybody I've been on tour with was amazing. I learned so much from them by just sitting sitting on the side of the stage and watching them perform and watching how they interacted with the crowd. And, you know, I definitely took notes and took certain things from things they did and added it into my show. And I mean, they were just, to me, my teachers. And what a great experience every one of them was. And to have had so much time off now, obviously because of the pandemic, to now be back on stage playing the big festivals and whatnot, what's it like to be back in front of a massive crowd again? It's been nice. I mean, it was nice to have some time off, no question. We got a lot of things done. But when I hit the stage for the first time when we came back, I remember the feeling of, oh, yeah, this is what I was born to do. And, and uh, the crowd was great. and It was just a great first show back. I'll never forget that either in my life. And just finally, Billy, I know you tend to spend your winters out in Hawaii, which just sounds like heaven. You're a tour guide and you take people hiking and on canoe rides to spot whales. But a passion of yours over the years has been visiting third world countries. And to head out there, to experience those environments, to meet the people, to sing for them, to bring them those basic essentials like shoes and medicine. How has that impacted your life? To me, it's nothing better than the feeling of giving. Um, of course, we all love to receive gifts and whatever it is, but to give is has always been a, a greater feeling of joy for me. And, uh, you know, I, I ain't going to sit here and say I, I was the poorest person in the world as a kid, but I would definitely say we came from, from not a lot. And uh, I remember not having shoes and things like that, or I'd go to school with holes in my shoes and, and being embarrassed about it and so many things that we didn't have that other people had. So I always knew that if I ever got some, some change or whatever you want to call it, I wanted to help someone else. The Countryline Songwriter Series with Billy Currington. More episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website or just search for the Countryline Songwriter Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.